Hey, this is Rob, a.k.a. Smet Logic from YouTube, and you're listening to the So Much Bingle podcast with Mike Bingleton. You're listening to So Much Pingle, the podcast about herpetology, field herping, and anything and everything about amphibians and reptiles. Join us each week as Mike and his guests explore the amazing world of herps across our planet. And now, bringing a half century of experience and perspective to the microphone, here's your host, Mike Pingleton. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Mike Pingleton here, and I am your host for these proceedings. Welcome to Episode 9 of the So Much Pingle Podcast. It's good to talk with you all again, and I hope you all are staying safe and healthy. Now, I just returned a few days ago from eastern Colorado, Otero County to be specific, where I participated in the Copark Herp Survey, Copark being the Colorado Partners in Amphibian and Reptile Conservation. And I had a pretty good time. I met up with some friends, old and new, and I saw some very interesting herps in the process. It did get pretty hot out there, close to 100 degrees in the afternoon, but that's when you take a siesta or head down to the river. It was a very long drive out there and back from my house, but given where we're at these days, I'm really not ready to board crowded airplanes, and I can still drive around the country and have some herping adventures. Before we get to our guest, I have just a couple things. I hope you all enjoyed the last episode with Nick Bergmeier and Hellbenders. I do have to apologize to Nick and y'all for the sound quality on that one. I think Nick sounds okay, but my vocal track is subpar. Uh, recording over the internet has proven to be very tricky, and getting a consistently better sound quality has been a work in progress. As a result, I've upgraded the recording software that I use for interviews, and I've shelved my recommended and state-of-the-art microphone, which was far too sensitive. I'm pretty sure it was picking up my heartbeat. It was a great mic, but it probably needs to be run through a mixing board, which is beyond where I'm at with this project at the moment. We also upgraded our home internet last week to gigabit ethernet over fiber, which in addition to being super fast, it also has the same upstream and downstream speeds. And a big shout out to Justin Michaels for helping me test out the new gear and the new internet. Thanks a bunch, buddy. I appreciate it. And I have a couple more already recorded shows that are going to sound so-so, but going forward, things should be much better. Now, I love my in-person interviews, and that's the best way to talk with people. And with the gear I use for those, I think they sound great. And I wish I could do everybody that way, but that's just not possible. On social media this week, we just had a thing called World Snake Day, and some folks posted pics and video of snakes from across the planet, and some of them included information on the serpent and why snakes in general are important. And there are also days throughout the year for lizards and amphibians and crocodilians and turtles. Uh, please don't ask me which animals are featured on what days, because that I can never remember. Now, some folks roll their eyes at these events and they get made fun of in certain circles, but I think they're important. It's not really for us. We get to inform 
the general public about these critters and give them a place in the spotlight. And our non-herp friends and family across social media get exposure, and at the least, they can understand their importance. I mean, you don't have to like them, but you ought to respect them. So thanks to everyone who participated in World Snake Day this year. Okay, now as a lead-in to our featured guest, I want to say that I am a big fan of process. In particular, process as it relates to the creative arts. I like watching those behind-the-music shows where they, they dig into the creative process, not just be with the music, but also with recording it and mixing it and, and so forth. And I love watching painters paint and potters pot and so forth. So this interest informs me sometimes when it comes to asking people to come on the show and to get them to talk about the things that they love to do and the things they love to create. And that leads us to Matt. Now, I, I first met Matt Sullivan just recently on my trip to the New Jersey Pine Barrens, but I have been a fan of his photography for some time. Matt's herp photography is great, but that's just one facet of his talent. If you haven't seen his underwater work, you're really missing something. In fact, do yourself a favor and pause this show for a moment. I'll wait. Go open up www.9milesnorth.com on your browser. That's the number nine, not the word nine. Nine miles north. It's worth checking out as Matt and I talk. And some of the things we talk about concern that site. And I've got links to Matt's website and other collections of his work in the show notes. And when it comes to underwater photography, I've just sort of dipped in a single toe, uh, so to speak. I've shot sea turtles and salamanders and their larvae and uh, tadpoles and things like that. And I'm hoping to do more of that. So I really enjoyed my talk with Matt. And as it often happens, I bring a guest on to talk about one thing and we end up covering multiple subjects. And that's what happened in this interview. So let's get to that. Hello again, everyone. I'm here with Matt Sullivan. Say hi, Matt. Hey, guys. And Matt is talking to us from New Jersey. Uh, well, <laughs> I live in New Jersey. Right now, I'm quarantining in PA. Quarantining um, in PA. Right across the river, though, so it's like four minutes from home. Okay. Okay, so hopefully you'll be able to go home soon. And That uh, would be nice. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Just a little backstory. I got to herp with Matt for about uh, 10 minutes <laughs> uh, earlier this last month in uh, New Jersey. And uh, so we, we got to meet each other in, in person. And uh, that was cool. But, uh, of course, it didn't nearly get to spend enough time with you, Matt. So that was, no, you know. That was the way it goes. And of course, yeah. you know, there's all the social distancing and things like that going on. So, uh, but uh, the miracle of technology has brought us back together to have an <laughs> in-depth conversation. And I'm happy to have you on the show because I'm a big fan of your photography. And I think we'll be talking uh, about that and we'll be talking about herbs and other things. But let's get a little background on you first before we jump into that. And uh, you're a Jersey boy, right? Yes, sir. And where it's home for you? Uh, so I live in like right on the river, the Delaware River, um, and about midway down Jersey. So for Harpers, you might Hunterdon County if you've been there. Um, it's kind of midway between the Pine Barrens, which everyone wants to hurt, and then the mountains, which everyone wants to hurt. Um, so it's about an hour to each of the hotspots, which is nice. Strategically placed. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, I, I want to talk about photography a lot, and I want to ask you about what, how you got your start in photography. Now, you shoot a lot of aquatic stuff, yep. and you shoot a lot of herbs. 
And uh, so it was the aquatic photography that came first? Yes. Tell us Um, more about it. So the first dive – I never really cared about photography. I just wanted to go see things when I was little. Um, And then the first dive trip I went on, I was 10, uh, and my parents gave me a little disposable camera. Uh Um, And it's it's funny, this uh, Herbs and Diving ties in because the very first – the only picture from that trip that was worth anything was of a hawksbill turtle – um, and it was the only, I got the whole thing in the frame somehow. I mean, it's, you know, the garbage quality of those little disposable cameras, uh, but yeah, I had the whole thing in the frame. I was stoked on it and it kind of was a slippery slope from there into the <laughs> photography. Um, so is it safe to say that one shot showed you the possibilities? Yes. It was like, it was, I saw that you could take pictures of cool things and that other people, that was the big thing. It's like other people enjoyed seeing it. And I was like, oh, yeah. that's, that's what it is. So it's as I love doing it for myself, but it's fun to see other people's reaction to a cool animal or a cool image. Um, right. And then even more than that, if you can, especially, and you know, we're going to talk about snakes and snakes are generally a very maligned group of animals by the human population. Um, so it's cool if you can change somebody's mind about that using imagery. Yes. Um, like, like two of my best friends used to like hate snakes and wanted nothing to do with them. And then they started seeing me post pictures of rattlesnakes and things like that, especially close to home. You know, then they slowly started asking about them. And then eventually I got them out into the field to see them. And now they've completely done a 180 on it and they're all about it. So that's awesome. Um, that's pretty awesome. cool to see. When you do talk about dive trips, uh, yeah. did you start in florida or new jersey or what what was that like the first, family vacation type thing yeah. yeah so the first time i was ever underwater was in, was in the keys um I was in five or six went for a snorkeling trip um and the first time i was diving was down in bonaire oh right next to aruba mm-hmm. um which is does not have the rattlesnake unfortunately but still a cool place yeah um so that was my first dive trip and then diving was the main thing for majority of my life and then um herping came i always liked reptiles but i had no idea how to like most people i had no idea how to find them when you start so you just kind of find garter snakes and water snakes and they're cool but eventually you're like oh this is this is kind of getting old and i can't find anything good um you know and then slowly you start to meet people and talk to people and learn some things and so the, the real passion for reptiles was there but it didn't really kick in until significantly later than the diving I see. Were you more of an adult then or? Yeah. So I was, it was probably 2014 probably before I got, I see. so I was 18 or 19 or 20, um, before it really got going. Um, and now I do two things you're super passionate about. It's hard to decide what you want to go spend your time doing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and looking at, uh, and I, I will, uh, give everybody the link to your, um, website or blog page and what you call it, your photo uh, portfolio, I guess, portfolio page. I will give everybody that link so that they can uh, take a look at some of your cool stuff. But you also do some landscape photography along yep. with the, the reptile and the amphibian stuff and the, and the underwater stuff. You said for a minute about changing people's minds about herbs, you know, with some cool images and getting yep. to talk to them and, and that. And I don't know if this comes across to you as it does to me that people would be terrified of a serpent but when you show them a picture of uh, a goby or some other little weird fish under under the surface, there's none of that. Even no. though it, even though if it was a hundred feet long, you would be the most frightening <laughs> creature in the world. There, there's no 
visceral fear that's like, oh my god, it's so ugly, it's cool. Yeah. Do you see that? Um, the, the, the best comparison, I think, is snakes and sharks, because they uh, both have that same kind of, by the overall human population, they have a bad reputation. Yes. Um, and I, you know, admittedly, certain snakes and certain sharks have a sort of intimidating appearance. But but if you get to experience those animals up close or you know through a cool image, it can it can change your mind on them. And I, I see it more with see it more with sharks than I do with with snakes. But I, that might just be because I'm immersed in you know the shark world a bit more than than snakes. But it seems to me that you know the ocean and below the ocean surface is just it can be so abstract if you don't go there. Yes. If you've never stuck your face in the ocean, it's very abstract. It's like another planet you read about on T or read about or see on TV. Yeah. Um, maybe there's something to that as well. I think um, you're probably right. So, you know, people see a goby, for example, and they're like, oh, well, that's that's somewhere else. I don't ever have to worry about that. So I can accept <laughs> the fact that it might look kind of cool. There's less but, inherent menace. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But snakes are theoretically everywhere or you have the potential to run into them almost anywhere. Right. Not that people who look for snakes know it takes some work usually to find to find them. Yes, um, it does. So the, the inherent fear that you always have to worry about snakes is, of course, overblown. But sure. I think I think that thin blue line of the ocean surface keeps a lot of fear at bay for people because they don't actually have to think about it out of yeah. sight, out of mind kind of thing. Yeah. And so you're, you really enjoy diving and then you you take first this disposable camera and then and then you decide to upgrade some gear and tell me, tell me a little bit about that. It's a, well, like I said, it's a, it's a slippery slope. So you buy one thing and you're like, then you see the next shiny thing. You're like, Ooh, I got to have that too. So you start with a little compact point and shoot. Um, and then, you know, slowly progress. And now my, the rig I use is like, if you're, if it's out of the water, it's like 40 something pounds. Um, which, is that the the big bullet shaped? Yeah. Post uh, it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want you to send me a picture of that so I can post it to the right. to the website because I think that that would be fun for people to see what the rig is, looks like. And that's just to hold the camera and, and the lens, yeah. and the lens and the the flash and all of that. Yeah. It, it's not pulling your. It doesn't have propellers on it or anything. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> but it looks like it might. You know, it looks like it should. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and under underwater, it's actually you know if you if you trim it out properly, it's pretty neutrally buoyant. Um, oh. And it becomes a lot more enjoyable to to deal with. But yeah, on land, when you're carrying it to and from a boat or around the airport, uh, it can be it can get old. But and especially traveling, I usually just carry it on because I don't trust putting it in a bag or definitely oh, not checking it on. And yeah. you get all sorts of the weird looks because people have no idea what it is and it's right. metal and angles and things like that. But um, and yet all the questions. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's yeah. I have to factor in an extra like half hour of security just because I know they're going to tear it apart oh. and ask every question about it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, maybe you take a picture of it in use underwater, and you can show them. My, uh, hey. <laughs> oh yeah, it's true. I have. Well, my friend finally got one the other, uh, actually down in Florida recently, of me shooting. So um, ah. I'm just, I'll just carry. Good idea. I'll just carry that around from now on. <laughs> yeah, show it to them on your phone, right? It's yeah. like, hey, this is what it's for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when you're talking about trim, you talking about you want you want neutral balance on that thing, right? You don't yes. want it to sink. You don't want it to rise. So do you do what do you do? Like weights or something on that, or? Mm. So you can, add, you can add floats to the arms. And ah. If you're doing stuff out in like the open ocean, you would generally want it to be a bit more positively buoyant so that if you have to let go of it, it doesn't plummet to the bottom and you lose yeah. your whole thing. And then generally, if you're doing normal diving, you'd like it to be a bit more negative um, just because it's easier to, 
to maintain. But yeah, you can add floats or you can add, there's actual like buoyancy arms, which I don't particularly like. And now we're getting into the weeds on it. But yeah, uh, yeah you can add floats or you can add weights depending on what you're, what you're going for. But the goal is to just like be able to let go of it. And even though it weighs 40 pounds or whatever on land, it just hangs in the water. Um, I see. So I, I'll give you a little bit of my experience shooting underwater. I've, I've done a little <laughs> snorkeling, and uh, I've had some cool experiences with that. And I had a little Canon D10, which is a really cool little camera that looks like it belongs underwater. It looks it's all it's got like a little porthole lens on it and stuff. It just looks awesome. Yeah. You know, shooting sea turtles with that thing while it's snorkeling, I thought, well, I need to just stick your camera under there and just go underwater and you pointed at the sea turtle, but the, you know, when you're not taking the, in account is there's this current and <laughs> the, the turtle doesn't care much about the current. You know, it's, you know, it's just kind of gliding around there. And, but me as a large mass trying to keep up with the turtle and shoot video or take a picture, uh, it was extremely difficult. And I, you know, like you, I, I got a couple cool shots and, uh, they, they turn out great. And I have one on, on the back of my, uh, um, my laptop background, you know, it's just right awesome. But, uh, the degree of difficulty in that is, is way up there, I think. And so I'm going to talk to, about that a little bit. Well, I'm sure you fight currents and things like that, right? It's funny. You mentioned turtles and current because just down in Florida last week, we went and we're looking for, um, a friend gave me a secret spot for green sea turtles and he's like if you go they're always there you'll get them i'm like okay cool we'll, we'll go it'll be no problem and we get there and we get in and we have to swim north and there's just a ripping current going south i'm like this sucks oh, so we, just, so we you know you kick for 15 minutes and you look up and you've gone you know 50 yards and you're like this wow. is just it sucks. And then you're right. When you find, we finally found a bunch, they're really cooperative, but they hang in the current like it's nothing. And we're kicking, 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 you know, just exhausting ourselves trying to keep up with these things. And they just couldn't care less. They're just doing their right. thing, chomping on the bottom. They'll come up, take a couple breaths and, and and then just keep going on their way. So, I mean, you get a workout and you get to see, <laughs> I guess that's the, yeah. that's the you burn some calories, but yeah, they're, they're, they're built for it, right? They have the, oh yeah hydrodynamic shape yeah exactly it just uh, passes right over them mm-hmm. but but it's still it, it always amazes me when i see any whether it's turtles or sharks or whatever it is when when they're going against a current how easily they do it and gracefully and then you look at look at us and we're you know flopping all over the place trying to and going nowhere but okay so it's not just me no definitely not just you so the, the other point that I, and I try to relate my own experiences to this is that um, a few years ago, a, a group of us Harpers took a day off and went. We were in the Yucatan and we drove north and we went, uh, took a, a little fishing panga off uh, uh, Ila Holbosch, which is a, a, a little island chain up there on the north side. Three hours out, three hour tour, as it were. Then we dove with a snorkel with whale sharks and the giant manta rays. And of course, after three hours and bouncing up and down in the boat and we, we get our chance and they, they drop us off in front of the whale sharks. You go over the side and you get your pictures and you have your experience with the whale shark. And as soon as I dropped over the side, I had this tremendous Charlie horse. My entire oh. hamstring is just, you know, seized up and I can't, I can't swim. I can't do anything. Unfortunately, I, have, I do have a little life vest on. So my head's above the water. But when that happened, I'm, you know, in this tremendous pain and I discomfort 
and my head is the only thing above the water, and I'm looking around, and I can't see the boat. I can't see anything. All I can see is waves and sky. And at that moment, I, I realized that I'm scared to death of the ocean. <laughs> and, and there's just nothing around with a where did everything go? And of course, you know, there was a pretty good swell on. So, I, you know, I, I rose up and down and then I could see the boat and, and called for help. And, and uh, postscript, I did get, get to jump in again after I recovered. And I did see the wheel shark and, and the big rays and, and a sailfish. So it was pretty cool. Oh, really? But uh, yeah, the sailfish was pretty, uh, just random, just random. But uh, the experience taught me that, you know, wow, that it's, you're going to a different planet. Basically, it's just a different reality altogether. And the moment I was away from the boat, it was it was the oddest feeling for me, just being alone in in the ocean. And uh, I, I assume you're used to that sort of thing by now. Yeah. So it's like I, like you said, you're it's a it's an odd feeling, and you weren't necessarily a fan of it. For me, it almost gives me an adrenaline rush if you're by yourself. Yeah. I, and I don't I don't entirely know why, but it's just kind of one of those things when you're dropped in the middle of the open, especially if it's the open ocean, uh, and you put your head down, you can kind of block everything else out. So it just kind of seems like it's you and whatever's whatever's there, mm. um, which can can be a little unsettling, especially if you know there's big animals around. Yes. Um, but I, the biggest. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I do kind of I do kind of like that feeling, uh, provided I know that there is potential safety not too far away i wouldn't yeah. want somebody to drop me out there and leave me there that wouldn't be the best thing but so but maybe saw- i should learn to embrace that and try it again sometime <laughs> well the whale sharks are cool you, should, you definitely do those again um yeah that was quite an experience i'm so. i'm envious you got the mantas though because we were there and bob and i were there we were there a bit too early the mantas hadn't shown up yet there weren't weren't a lot of sharks but we still got to see them and they're spectacular um, yeah but yeah, it was it was definitely a, a big experience for me, way up there. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm grateful for it. So even six hours in a boat going wham wham <laughs> wham wham wham, uh, it's three hours out and three hours back. And then we got to snorkel with turtles too. So that was oh, that cool. was pretty cool. So uh, at the end at the end of it, so it was it was excellent. But uh, so you, you do you actually work in the industry? Uh, it, 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 diving or photography, dive photography. Is there, do you actually do anything with that or is this just all uh, a hobby for you or? Um, so I did, when I lived in California, uh, I went out there to work at an underwater photography and dive travel company. Um, so I did that for two years and that's one of the ways I was able to travel as much as I could is because I would, they would have me lead group trips or lead photo workshops or things like that. And I definitely got to go some places that I never would have, well, I don't want to say never, but I certainly wouldn't have been able to go at this point in my life. And then I also, my, my hashtag, my tag on Instagram is formerly homeless photographer. Yes. Uh, and that came about because I decided that LA was, well, LA is expensive There's for everything and especially oh, yeah. to live. So I decided that I would rather take the money that I'd be spending on rent and use it towards going on cool trips. And I would just live out of my car to do that. So it was miserable at times in ter- having to live out of a car in a not great part of LA, uh, especially in the summer when it, you know the nights only get down to 95 or whatever it is. Um, but I got to go to some really cool places as a result by having saved up some money. So I got to do Canada a couple of times. I got to do Alaska. I've been to the Guadalupe and Baja for the Great Whites a couple of oh, times now. And one you, gotta, of the- you gotta want it, right? 
Yeah, exactly. well, that's and I. It's funny because I get asked all of the time how I travel the way I do, and I'm like, you have. I mean, if you don't make, if you don't have a ton of disposable income, you have to make sacrifices, and it's how much you're willing to give up to to go do the things you want to do. Um, and I was willing to give up living in a <laughs> out of anything <laughs> other than a car for two years to do it. Well, you um, know, you're among friends with this because uh, so many of my biologist friends out there who are some of who are list going to be listening to this. They did that, right? Yeah. They, they they lived in their car for periods of time because that's what you do if you if you want to be in a bio you know, a biologist. So you end up living in your car. So to us, you're just you know you're a brother. Yeah, well that's <laughs> you're, the you're thing. You're brethren and sister who did that. <laughs> so we we don't think that's odd. Of course, some people are going, to go, oh my gosh, but a lot of people in this in this uh, who listen to this will get that. Totally I think it's that. a. I've noticed between her and I don't have friends in all fields of biology, but between herpers and divers, herpers for sure understand it more than more than <laughs> divers do. Because I mean herpers will go you'll be like going hey, you want to go to Florida this weekend and you live in Maine and you're like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And you have, you know, a hundred bucks to spend and you spend it all on gas and gas station yes. food and then you gotta live out of your car. And I think it's I yeah. just did it for an extended period of time. You're right. I think a lot of People, especially herpers, know about the discomforts of <laughs> sleeping in a car or sleeping on the ground or whatever it happens to be to be able to go see cool things. And, Heating um, cans of Chef Boyardee <laughs> yep. ravioli in your, in your dashboard. Exactly. Kind of yeah. yeah. Or like, as I like to say, uh, huddling next to your car in the rain and crying while you eat a granola bar, you know. <laughs> So, uh, so you're currently not really doing anything like that, or you plan you plan to go back to that kind of uh, work after COVID becomes manageable? Yeah. Well, so I had I had set up a couple of trips for international stuff, um, a couple this year, and then a couple next year. And obviously, with the way the world stands, I have no idea if those are going to. Well, certainly the ones this year aren't going to happen. Yes. Um, and next year is up in the air. Uh, I would like to do my own travel photo workshop kind of thing eventually uh, and that was this was going to slowly be the the roll into that but uh, we'll have to see what happens and I'm I'm hopeful that whatever goes on with this it won't last for years and you know there's an end in sight but you know kind of having to take everything day by day since it changes so fast at this point well but, I, I can't see I can't see you not being up and running next year I'm sure things are going to get better I'm sure the vaccine will when the vaccine is available, it will solve a lot of these problems we have. So I'm hoping so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, um, and I'm glad you brought up the car thing. I thought that I, I read read that uh, somewhere, or maybe a, on your interview on what on YouTube. I think I, the guy was talking about that. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. So I will uh, for the, those of you listening, I will post some really cool links to Matthew's work on the show notes, and you, you'll be able to check him out. One of the things when I was looking at your portfolio page, which is called Nine Miles North, I'm struck by not the subject matter per se. Uh, you you have some photos of some really cool exotic animals. Don't get me wrong. Sand vipers, chameleons. There's some, there's some awesome stuff in there. What struck me is just the, how your, your approach to these animals is what I would say is a little different than, it's certainly different from what I do. Um, and I would I would call your work evocative. 
you know, I, I do the standard go low for a side shot, get 45 over this, doing something cool. You know, I, I get that stuff and and maybe I get some cool shots once in a while in situ. But uh, your photos are different. They're not so they're technically great, but the technicality is not what stands out. What stands out is the uniqueness of the of the animal. You tell a story with the pose where the animal's situated, you know, it's, it's some, sometimes you're going in very close to the, in the animal and focusing on the animals, like a toad or a, a chameleon, you're focusing fairly close. And other times you're back a ways and you're letting some of the landscape do some, tell some of the story. Yep. And so how, how do you end up to the, in this place? Is, did, is this sort of a, an evolutionary thing where you start out taking more, what I would call a technical picture of an animal and then, the art starts seeping into it. How does that? How does that work for you? So that field guide shot that every Harper knows, like the forty-five and the and the the top down and stuff. I I always struggled to get those kind of pictures to look pleasing to me. And there's people out there who do them fan, who do them fantastically. So there was a, there came a point where I was like, all right, I'm not going to try doing that anymore because there are people out there who do it better. Um, you know, I'll take I'll take a shot here and there. Uh, if something's in a field guidey pose that shows off the whole animal well, and I still try to do it at least for for my own records, I'll take a the more normal field guide image uh, of most of the cool looking animals. But and I, I take a lot of I take a lot of heat from other from herpers when I see something really cool, and I'll take like that eyeball shot or just a face shot, and they're like, "But we want to see the rest of it." Uh, <laughs> and I'm, yeah. I'm like, "Yeah, I, I get it." But like you said, I think the challenge half of it's just fun because it is a challenge to create something evocative or different of an animal that's not usually shot that way. So um, I, I love looking at the field guide style pictures because I love seeing the animals like that. But I personally, I don't enjoy making those pictures uh, as much as I do um, other styles of images. So like the, you know, the close focus wide angle where you can see where the animal's still big in the frame and then you can still see the, the habitat. That's my favorite thing to do. And I'll try to do it with everything. And certain things just aren't possible because they're venomous or in a bad position or something like that. Well, I would um, say you, you do those pretty well and not everybody does. So, some of them are just too contrived. Yeah. It, you know, it's, I shall place this serpent on this rock and then, <laughs> and then it would never be on overlooking this beautiful valley and it just seems you know the, the first time you see one it's like oh that's pretty cool and but after the hundredth one you kind of go yeah. oh, this is kind of contrived and really doesn't emote it, it, there's nothing evocative about it you know after a while it's just it's a very pretty landscape picture with a snake in it yeah um, and that, that's one of the other things too is uh and that's you know that's the other thing is i like to shoot well and another progression along with the herping is I've found myself, especially more recently and more and more as time goes on, is shooting things, you know, completely as they're found. If they're not in a good position, I'll I'll pass by it and look for something else. Um, I see. And it, a, I think it. I mean, you can argue, you can debate the stress on the animal. I don't know. I don't. You know, I'm not a biologist. I don't know how much a little bit of handling um stresses them or not obviously depends on the species um but also if you if you leave something as found you're you get to show off its natural history a little bit more than you would otherwise so um you know if a rattlesnake's est up on a rock uh or you know sitting in a, a couple inches off the ground in a bush or whatever it happens to be if you can figure out a cool way to to shoot that the image itself 
might be more interesting because you get to see some of the behavior as well that if you're you know just going and catching and posing you might not be able to see i don't want to come across that i'm against you know catching things or anything like that i think that's that's fine to do but for my photographic purposes i choose not to do that i think that's a natural progression though yeah uh, as you as you go along the the more you can shoot something without ever disturbing it other than maybe it knows you're there yeah the more pleasant the experience is and i think that's just part of how how you develop um and not just herping but it's just in wildlife in general i think yeah um and you get better at perhaps getting your you know like you say you only want a certain you want to take a certain kind of shot you're not going to bother the animal to try to get something out of it yeah if it's giving you something you're going to take it uh, yes. And I think that's probably natural. And I think people first starting out in herp photography, you know, they, they've got to handle the herps. They've got to they've got to get used to looking at the animal through, you know, through the lens in different angles and different poses and and trying to get comfortable with that. So I think that's probably as you go along, it, it's more it's less about what the animal, you know, getting everything you can about the animal and more about. Uh, just the animal as is. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I used, to, used to get angry and be upset. I would take a picture of a snake coiled up in the forest and there would be a leaf or a little bit of grass on it or something. Yeah. And, just like, oh, that's, oh. and then I realized that no, 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 that's, that's how they do. Yeah. They're, you always got stuff on them. Yeah. Frogs always got little bits of stuff sticking to them. That's it's okay. You know, just yeah. kind of learn to, relax and not worry about that stuff so much. I was, uh, uh, well, speaking of that, I was out in Michigan last month and looking for the Massasaugas and if um, you, I'm sure you, have you seen them? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, they don't exactly live in the most aesthetically pleasing of places when they live in those super thick grassy fields, you know, so when you find one and it's half buried in crud and grass and dirt and all that stuff, it's like they, the, the, initial temptation is like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna grab it and clean it off and put it somewhere where it's you can see it but this past trip i was like i'm gonna see if i can photograph them with creative angles through the grass or however i have to do it to, and it, it was it was okay the pictures aren't going to be award-winning or anything like that right but, uh, looking at them now they inter they interest me more because you get to see it's like an intimate little look into how they live their lives in terms of you know they they half bury in the grass. And sometimes all that you see right. is a bit of an eye and part of the rest of the body. And that's it. You know, and if you're hoping to see the whole snake, it's not that kind of picture is not going to appeal to you. But from a natural history perspective, I think that can be pretty interesting. Um, yeah. And, There's certainly and, room for those kinds of shots, I think. Yeah. So you have a couple pictures that, that I, that really struck me. One of, one of them is a, a wood turtle and it's one of those half in half out shots, half in the yeah. water, half out. And the other one is of spotted salamanders, and one is coming up and it's sticking its uh, nose out of the water to breathe. Yeah. On the on the face of it, it's like these are really cool. You've got you know above land, you know, above above the water, below the water. It's just it, that's just a great shot. But then you think about what's behind the picture, which is the camera, and then behind the camera is you, <laughs> and you're prone probably. And you're either in the mud and muck, or maybe you've got a wetsuit on. I don't know. Maybe not. If you're shooting spotted salamanders like that, chances are you're you're not you're in a smaller situation where you you're not in the water with those things, or maybe part of you is in the water. And and just the the technical details of getting that kind of shot, that's the story that goes on behind the camera. Yeah. The shot tells that story. You just have to think about it and, and imagine what's going on to get those kinds of shots. 
which I think are, are brilliant shots, by the way. I, think I appreciate that. Um, the it's but it's funny because if you if you show those to an underwater photographer, all they think about is like that image. But if you show it to somebody who knows the natural history of the spotted salamanders, the wood turtles, you're like, oh, he's you know, especially the spotted salamanders, like, oh, they don't live in you know, they live in these shallow little ponds. They're usually murky and muddy and gross. Um, you know, so it's and it, yes, it wasn't all that comfortable. I mean, I was in I was in disinfected boots. I had disinfected the housing. Of course, the you step into that mud and you're in up to your waist anyway. So the boots did no good. And I had, you know, there were thousands of them breeding in that, in that pond that night. I kept missing it when they would come up to breathe. So they'd come up and I'd missed, I'd missed the picture and I'm like, oh. and I kept getting impatient and going to other groups. I'm like, okay, well, next time I go to this one, I'll, I'll catch it. Um, and it never works. So then eventually I just found that little pair. Uh, and I was like, I'm going to sit with this thing until, <laughs> until one of them comes up to breathe and see if I can get it. And it it's took a while. Quick. It's oh, very yeah. It's like, boom. And then done. Yeah. Um, and I, so I had to try and get the, I had to make sure I had the split. And then I, I was so hoping I would actually capture the moment when he was up above the surface. And, you know, it's cool. It'd be cool to see him coming up or going down, but I really wanted that when his fa- face broke the surface. <laughs> um, and it, yeah. it took forever, <laughs> yeah. but uh, eventually uh, that one came out pretty, pretty decently. Um, See, there, I, 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 knew there, I knew there was a great story behind the shot. <laughs> yeah. It was a, uh, and yeah, also was, the, the fact that you got to be there on the right night. Yeah. You got to be there it was, on that night. Luckily, this place is only a few minutes from my house, that particular pond, and it's the best vernal I've ever been to. Um, but I have never seen anything like it. I'm, I mean, there were, you know, standing there and you're, you can, you're watching the spotted salamanders come out of the ground and head towards the pool. And you didn't, I mean, by the thousands, um, and, you know, the wood frogs and peepers are going, going crazy and there are hundreds of them in the pond too. And, and then it's just, you know, salamander chaos in the water. Uh, which was a lot of fun, a lot of fun to see. And I, I missed it this year, which I, which I was bummed uh, about. I was, I was hoping to get some, some repeat kind of images, but I like that spotted salamander shot because I've never seen one quite like it. No, um, me neither. So I was, I was pretty stoked on that. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and I, I also like it because I've been out on those nights and I know that's one of my favorite things to do is, you know, yeah. we do a lot of that around here in uh, Illinois and Indiana. We have a, what we call a snow dog trip and we're out there late February, early March, trying to capture some of that stuff. You know, as uh, various ambistomids come to the ponds and wood frogs and, you, you know, all the amphibian stuff. So do you get, do you guys get ponds with multiple ambistomid species using the same one? Yeah. And in Indiana, especially, um, uh, my buddy Greg Stevens lives over there in southern Indiana, so south central Indiana, and uh, we go down there and we can get the Jefferson salamanders and the spotted salamanders. And what else do we get there? Jefferson spots, and then uh, the, uh, the marbled larvae already mm-hmm. in the in the ponds, and then there's newts, of course, and yeah. uh, the wood frogs are going. So, uh, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, enjoy that. So I can appreciate that. And, and of course, many of our listeners can also appreciate that. And if you haven't been out salamandering in, in, in February or March, you, know, you should try it because it's just, it's awesome. And there's nothing else to do because the snakes aren't up yet. So, so get your butts out there and, you know, put on a sweatshirt and bring your rain gear and have a good time. So we talked about the technicality versus I- intuition, or we talked about technicality of shots. And do you feel like, that intuition plays into photography and maybe what I would call muscle memory or uh, intuitive memory of, 
looking at something and and sensing what it is you can get out of it is that something that you you develop you think you develop over time i i think so i mean i so there will certainly be times where i'll come across a situation like okay i've done seen something similar to this before i'm going to try and photograph it in that way to see if it works and sometimes it does oftentimes it doesn't um so there are certain things i'll you know, attempt first based on whatever I'm, I happen to be photographing. And, mm-hmm. uh, it, and, you know, it's funny because it's usually not the first few things I try that end up working. It's something that I think of as I've been there for however long. And I'm like, Oh, that's, what's going to be, um, the one and I, I have a picture of this, um, horned adder from Namibia, which was actually one of the ones in that YouTube interview as well, where I'm, you know, it was in a really cool S pose on the sand and they're cool snakes to begin with, you know, horns, bright orange eyes. Uh, so I was just shooting, you know, face portraits of it and they were cool, but it wasn't anything that necessarily stood out other than the fact that it was a cool snake. It's a um, shot everybody takes. Yes, exactly. And then, so then I, I, nothing against that, but no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then I went to pack myself up and I, when I stood up, I noticed that the track that we had actually followed it to the bush using, uh, I hadn't, by some miracle, I hadn't disturbed that during shooting the snake. So I was like, I have to, this is that natural history bit that's going to make this image special. So I figured out the way to light it so that the track showed up and led into the frame, into the snake. And then the snake was in the little ambush S um, and it worked out as a much more interesting picture than the initial portrait and ended up being my first or second favorite shot of that trip. So I yeah. was, that's the it's kind a, of thing. I, great photo. I really I, enjoyed it. I appreciate that. So I've been, yeah, but like I said, I've been, I've been shooting that for half an hour and it hadn't occurred to me until I happened to stand up and see that the track, I was like, Oh, there it is. I've just, I've just wasted this other half hour, <laughs> but sometimes it's just yeah. how it goes. It doesn't occur to you for a while and then it'll pop into your yeah. head what you can do to make that image something unique. Yeah. I, I get that somewhat because I found myself shooting and going, well, this really isn't working. Now what? And then, <laughs> yeah. then you have to you have to come up with something uh, to you know to make good use of the animals you know the, the animals availability there. Yeah, and there there are people out there who can do that like immediately upon seeing something. They're like, I'm going to do it this way. This is what's going to work. Uh, and I'm I'm not. I either don't have that ability or I haven't developed it yet. Um, but I'm definitely envious. And I, I'm envious of those people because I have friends who are like that. They'll just see something and be like, I'm going to photograph it that way. That's what's going to work. And then I'll be on my way. And I, I would sit there and look yeah. at that thing for half an hour before I realized <laughs> how to how to photograph it properly. But, you know, sometimes you got to just take things slow and hope it, hope it works out. But I, I think of it as a muscle, you know, you, yeah. do, you develop it. It's, it's uh, which is really simplifying it, I guess. But. And so I guess we should probably, uh, folks will probably want to know what, what do you shoot? What kind of cameras do you use to shoot? Uh, <laughs> well, you know, and, and of course, you know, how it goes, you post a really cool picture somewhere and somebody will say, what camera do you use? Yeah. <laughs> and because they think if I get that camera, I can do that, which, you know, is well, only part uh, of the, the equation. But I think people want to want to know what, what kind of cameras you like to shoot with? Well, it's funny you you say that the, uh, you know, if, oh, if I know what kind of camera it is, and I get that, it'll be great. Because my website, if you go through the whole thing, there's probably 15 different cameras represented on my website. <laughs> um, a lot of them were, were you know, I used through work because I would have to gear test or whatever it happens to be. And then on my own, I've gone through a lot of cameras. And currently I shoot 
all, most of the recent stuff is a Nikon D500. Oh, um, okay. so the, that and Nikon D4 are the two, probably the two most represented on my website, but uh-huh. then there's, there's some Canons there's some Sony's. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I just got a, a Fuji film that I'm really excited to use. I shot it a little bit in Florida, but not much. So I'm hoping to get that out tomorrow actually, and see if there's anything out that I can mess around with that with. Mm-hmm. But that's, I think that's the thing is like, you don't necessarily need a particular camera if you just figure out how to, how to use it. Um, and I, I'm guilty of that myself. So most of these cameras I've used are way beyond my, my ability if I actually knew how to get the most out of them. But you know, I, I have particular ones that I enjoy based on either how they, how they feel in my hands or the image quality or something like that. Is it um, also something to do again, when going back to muscle memory or, you know, how a particular camera shoots, you know, how to get what you want out of it and you don't have to think about it much anymore. Yes. Uh, so that was like, the- sometimes you, you're driving and you're at the store and you don't remember we're going to the store <laughs> yeah <laughs> because you're you're just sort of let you, your your abilities take over and you're very comfortable with the camera and what what you get is, is so is that a safe thing to say is that a i think so an experience so I, I noticed it especially when i would when i worked in california because you know every every time you go out shooting you're shooting some other piece of gear that you have to learn on the fly and get images with uh, and that's when i would notice it most because i I, my cameras would be Nikon and then I'd have to go shoot this Sony that I've never picked up before. I'm like, I have no, I have no idea what oh. I'm doing or I'm going to press a button that on my camera does one thing and does something else on this. Different menus. Now that, what's that? All the menus are different. Oh yeah. <laughs> so even now this little Fuji, I'm so used to Nikon that I'm going to do stuff on here and it's not doing the things that it's doing on the, on the Nikon, which I know is a learning is a, it's going to take some time, but it's, it's still frustrating. So I'm like, die missing things because I don't know what I'm doing yet. So there's definitely a comfort level there too, which is another reason I think, you know, people should stick with a, a particular camera until they outgrow it for a certain reason. That's because the more you use it, the more you're going to get used to it and the better stuff you'll get with it just based on comfort. And you said the muscle memory of using one particular machine for the job. Yeah. For most people starting out, it, it's not so much the, the technicality, it's learning to compose Yes. Learning how to to take a shot that best shows off the animal. I mean, people start off and they just sort of point their their camera or their phone at it, and they, yeah. you know, they end up with something blurry or a little dis- distance. If you think about it, then the next time you go in, you try to do something a little better, a little different, and, and that seems to be the hurdle number one. At least it was for me, you know. And I shot point and shoots for years. Yeah. Uh, although I, I shot some pretty good ones, but composition and and trying to get something out of the animal other than the, you know, uh, your pedestrian point and shoot, so to speak, uh, is, was a bit of a challenge. And it's funny too. Uh, folks have really good cameras on their cell phones these days, not necessarily for, you know, eyeball herps close up or anything, but you can get some nice photos of a, of a herp and habitat. Yeah. Those things, if you apply yourself a little bit and I've, I ended up shooting a lot more cell phone shots, um, on my trips because of that because the cameras are just better and you get keepable photos (laughs) but but, uh they're certainly not made for you know every application or every type of situation but yeah and that's that's one of the things people like well why do you why don't you just use your phone i'm like well uh, phones are great for like you said certain applications but yeah you're you're not going to go get you know a national geographic style shot of a great white with your phone it's just it's not gonna happen (laughs) might get a good shot of the boat (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) um 
I probably take more pictures on my phone than I do with my cameras just because sometimes it's easier and sometimes I'm just I just don't feel like shooting the the animal with all of my stuff. Um, like just down in the Everglades recently, I didn't take the cameras into the park at all. I just had my phone. So whenever we found something, it was just phone picture and then on wow. on my way. And there's something part of me part of me regrets it now because we saw some cool stuff and I was like, damn, I should have yeah. should have taken my time. Um, but there's something freeing yeah. about it, just herping with a phone and nothing else. And then it's just herping for the sake of herping, which is, I guess, what it's really all about at the end of at yeah. the end of it. Yes. Um, yeah. And it seems so. Do you ever, ever heard of the guy that. who always leaves his camera in the car, and then you find something really cool? <laughs> it's me. <laughs> You're the guy. Yep. I, uh, I I vividly remember one time out with Bob, and we drove down. I don't Bob know if Ferguson, you guys, right? Yes, Bob okay. Ferguson. Um, and we were going to look for rattlesnakes, and I was like, "We're not finding one today." So I I left my all of my stuff in the car, and we drove miles down this road in the Pine Barrens, and of course we find one, and it's just the sweetest rattlesnake we've ever seen oh. just lay in there chilling perfectly oh. laid out and i'm like son of a bitch <laughs> all of my stuff eight miles back down this road in the car oh. uh, it was just so it was, i just had to enjoy it for the sake of enjoying it but it's not the it's not the first or only time i've done that and it certainly won't be the last but um <laughs> it's one that sta- one that stands out because i still he still gives me crap for it but um, <laughs> well it's big of you to admit that <laughs> yeah well i did it i'm sure you've seen the that now famous sawfish in the everglades too the one that's oh, been yeah. out. Mm-hmm. i went down looking for that and for whatever reason i was like ah we probably won't see it i'm just gonna leave my underwater stuff uh you know at the hotel and of course we go down there and the, that little sawfish puts on a show for the whole oh you know, my gosh. half an hour we're there <laughs> oh. and i did end up going back another night but it only hung out for like 10 seconds and then was gone oh. so that one that one will dig at me for a while that i didn't yeah. i didn't bring it the first night but yeah um most other things i've gotten to the point where if i if i miss it and it was something stupid i did it's that's on me and used to enjoy it for for the sake of the experience and try to re- try to remember it as best you can. And you'll always have friends who will remind you that you didn't, that you screwed up. So oh, yeah. that's good too. <laughs> what are friends for, right? <laughs> so um, you've been to a number of different countries for the um, marine photography. Yeah. Uh, a number of different islands. Uh, Guadalupe off the coast of Mexico. Yes. Uh, which is a really cool area. Also uh, Africa as well. Yeah. Okay, so I've been to South Africa and Namibia over there so far. Okay, okay. Um, what looks good to you for the future in terms of places to go? The the two that are at the top of my list are Madagascar for herping, and then I would I would like to do a big trip to Australia and split it between herping and diving. Um, oh. I was actually supposed to go with a friend this year, in this month. It's supposed to be there right now, actually, and then obviously the whole you know, COVID thing happened. But we were going to split our time between, you know, looking for thorny devils and death adders and things like that. And then diving for great whites and sea dragons and things. So I'm hoping we can just switch that to next year, COVID permitting. But we'll, yeah. see, how, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, those that and Madagascar um, are, the, are definitely kind of head and shoulders above everything else at the moment for, for travel. I hear you. Madagascar is way up there on my list. Yeah. So hopefully one of these days I'll get there. So you look, do you look at this as what can I do where I can herp and dive? Is that how it goes for you? Uh, increasingly more and more. That's how I'm looking at it just because it's, it, it, that's easier to do than the, the destinations that are good for both are much slimmer than the, like the either ors. Um, so Australia, you get the same herping and insane diving. 
And then, you know, Madagascar, you can dive. There's some good diving there, but that would mostly be for reptiles. And, yeah. Um, but then I'm, I've also been looking at going back to South Africa. There's some really cool stuff in South Africa, both above and below water. Right. Um, there, the diving and herping seasons line up pretty well. Uh, so that okay. would be another good one to look at. Good. Did you shoot a lot of the charismatic mer- megafauna when you were in... Nope. <laughs> no. I, so the, when I was in South Africa, we were there doing a volunteer program for Great Whites, actually. So it was mostly just the sharks. Uh, and then I did try to find some stuff while there, uh, but it was it was winter there, so it wasn't successful herping-wise. And then in Namibia, we did see giraffes and zebras and things like that. I'll admit they were much cooler in person in the wild than I thought they were going to be. Uh-huh. Um, especially when you just drive up on a giraffe that you're not expecting is going to be there and you see how big they actually are. Yeah. Um, like seeing them in a zoo doesn't do them any justice, but seeing them standing on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere in Africa is pretty, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, but yeah. it's hard for me to tear myself away from underwater things and reptiles to go see the, the you know, the big terrestrial mammals, but I'm sure one, I'll see them. At one has point. to make choices. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would sure like to do that, but you know, it, it's sort of it's sort of like, um, oh, I could buy this cool thing, but it's kind of the same price as a plane ticket. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, yeah, so maybe I won't get that, and I'll have a plane ticket somewhere. Yeah. So you have to kind of make choices, right? It goes again. Goes back to the thing of if you don't have a ton of dispensable income, you're going to have to make yeah make some sacrifices. It just comes down to what's the most important thing at yeah. that particular moment. That's where in time I'm at too, because I'm retired, so I, I yeah. have a fixed income. So, <laughs> uh, and I don't want to go back to work. That's fair. Uh, so, you know, I'm I'm in work I'm in work recovery, and I you know, but I have to be kind of picky about you know where my money goes. You know, That's true. I'm not independently wealthy or anything, so so I kind well, of get that. Not only until the podcast gets big enough, things will be sitting pretty. Uh, yeah, that's my plan. Uh, my, my evil plan. Um, and, and did I did I happen to see? Did, have you done like West Texas? Yes. Did you did you get yeah. an alterna out there? Yeah. So Noah and I did quite Noah Fields and I did quite well last year in our ah. six days. We got seven at four four different locales. Um, oh man, that was pretty. That, we only had we only had one night without Alterna, and that was oh. it was kind of just downpouring the whole time. So we got we You're uh, killing we me, Smalls. <laughs> You're killing me. Have you been out there yet? I uh, I'm O for five. Oh man. Oh yeah, but have you tried the whole like the whole oh, yeah. range? Um, but I'm I'm gonna get them. Oh yeah, you have I'm to get them. Get them. There's uh, yeah. I I wondered because there's very few snakes. There's I, I don't outwardly show excitement a lot about when I find an animal, but I lost my mind over the first <laughs> seeing that first alternate. Cause it's, they're one of those, you know, cult following snakes. And you just like, it's, oh, I'm never going to see one. Like other people see those. And then, you know, you're sh- walking this cut back and forth for however long. And then it shows up in the light beam and you're just like, Oh my God, oh. your heart's so down you, out of your chest. And- did you find him walking cuts? Was that the majority of them? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we found, we found, all of them on cuts, and uh, and Noah, Aaron, Aaron Short, and I had a th- three in one night on oh. on, uh, on one of them. We each found one, which was really really cool. Which um, were you uh, west or east? Uh, you know my website website name. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. 
that was a that was a good cut for us and we found another one there the next night so that wow. was uh that was pretty cool most of my hunting was back in the in the 90s and oh, so you haven't been there in a while have you i haven't been i haven't been there in a while i got i got a big beat down out there and <laughs> and um I, I I need to. I, it's on my list. I actually was out there a couple times in in the teens, uh, 2014, 2016, and I okay. I did do some looking around, but I didn't uh, I didn't get them. But I, I mean, I've seen all the other cool stuff, bear traps, yeah. and I haven't seen enough subox and stuff like that. So I, I definitely have unfinished business out there. But uh, I'm I'm happy to hear you did so well. That's just that's just awesome. It was uh, a it's such a different way of herping just to cut shining because there aren't many places, yeah. especially out east, that you do that. And yeah, I asked what month you went. It was actually this this week last year. Oh wow! Okay, um, yeah. I was actually supposed to be out there right now, and then I had all sorts of car problems in Florida and had to bag it. But um, um, yeah, and West Texas is a place you don't want to have car trouble <laughs> of any kind or tire trouble out there. Um, um, it's a yeah. it's a cool cool place though, and like you said, there's lots there's other cool bycatch. You have the you know the uh, the rats the milks which i didn't get and i was hoping to get this year the yeah. rock rattlesnakes hog noses that stinking black-headed snake we saw uh we saw a couple of those i think yeah yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> milk, was, milk was the only real miss if i recall correctly but uh, so next time i go i'll be hitting hitting it hard for those but the, cool. you know the alternative obviously the the goal every time yeah yeah so i'm gonna get back out there i, I need to get back in the game i just you know <laughs> felt I, a little I, defeated so i have faith in you you'll get one next time <laughs> yeah i have gotten my rio grande slider oh yeah i managed to get that last time so How, you uh, can't you guys you can't be far from having almost every snake in the country right oh i still have some things i, no, I still have i still have some so, uh, so. <laughs> I don't know where I'm at, but I'm I'm over. I'm probably two thirds of the way there. So. That's significant. Uh, yeah, it's all those it's all those little crazy things. Yeah, the, uh, Cusolata, the the blackheaded snake, and I have a few rattlesnakes I'm missing, and uh, a few garter snakes, and you know this that near mountain earth snake. Crazy things. You should have you should have taken a couple days and done those while you're out here. Um, yeah, I know. And I, I was plan actually I was planning on trying for those on the way back, but I was too tired. And, oh, you drove, uh, right? I drove. So, oh, yeah, yeah, and uh, and I missed out on. I looked for black uh, short-headed garter snakes last year. Missed out on those. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, you know, either I'll get them or they'll get me one or two. So. <laughs> But uh, I also you also hang out with a couple of uh, other herpers that are some of my favorite herpers, and that is Mike and Andrea Howlett. Mm, so you hang out with them a little bit too. So. Yeah. So I I went to school in Boston. Um, ah, yeah, that's so right. I lived up there for five years. Went to school up there, and they just kind of ended up being my like Boston parents for a while, just because <laughs> they would you know they would they were my they were my herping crew when I was up there. And they just kind of took me under their you know, Massachusetts wing and, and showed me a lot of cool stuff up there. And um, they're lifelong friends at this point. And they're two of the nicest human beings I've ever met. Aren't they? Uh, they, they really are. And they appreciate everything, which is so nice. Like every every yeah. single thing they see, they, they're in love with. Yeah. Um, and I guess I herp with them uh, a night or two out in Arizona. 
Um, oh, that's right. And, and I got there. to meet them and know them a little bit. So I, I got to get them on this show. Just I want to talk to them about their turtle rescue stuff too. That's oh yeah, cool. They'd be they'd Pretty be good cool. guests because they're they're fun. They're funny too. Yeah, um, yeah. They're I, just, yeah, they're two of my favorite people. And I, it's a bummer I haven't seen them in a while. Uh, I went up I went up once last year and got to got to see them real quick. But now with obviously with all this stuff happening, it's harder. Um, but I hopefully if it settles down, I'll get to, I would love to do the turtle thing with them. Actually, I was supposed to go last year and it didn't work out. Uh, um, so maybe, maybe this year, if it happens, I'll be able to go up there and freeze my ass off with them. I know it sounds crazy, but I would love to to do that. Yeah. I would love yeah. to have that experience. And people are like, why don't you just hit yourself in the head with a board? <laughs> uh, you know, I know it's really hard, but it sounds very cool. Yeah. And you're doing something to hopefully save a couple animals that, you know, would otherwise be, would just die there. So things kind of doing a good deed. You get to feel like you've accomplished something. And yeah. And for the, those of you that, if for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about uh, uh, Mike and Andrea and a lot of other dedicated people will walk the beaches around the Boston area uh, under certain conditions in the wintertime, November and December and rescue sea turtles that get caught in the cold current and they can't function very well in the end. A lot of them end up perishing and they walk the beaches and save them, bring the turtles back to be uh, uh, warmed up and rescued and, and then released. So it's a very cool uh, thing they do. So, yeah. So uh, I guess you're staying in New Jersey for now and then maybe next year you'll be traveling again or living out of your car again. And who knows? <laughs> well, it would take some extreme see having to do the whole car thing again, but I'll definitely do it for periods of time. Yeah. Um, I would like to, my plan is to hang here for the next, probably till this time next year, um, save up some money and then move either down South, probably down South. Um, that way I can be diving and herping all the time instead of having to make dedicated trips down there. Like Florida. Um, that's what I'm thinking just cause I could be in the water every single day and that would be uh-huh. pretty nice. Um, but I'll look at, I'll look at North Carolina and, and probably Georgia as well, but Florida is definitely leading the pack right now. Sure. Um, sure. and it's cheaper to live than up here or out West. So that's true. Yeah. That's true. It's very cheap where I live, but we have no ocean. <laughs> yeah. So, the middle of the country is very cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah you that's fair. pay for that ocean. You know. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but it's, the, the ocean's a lot more expensive out west than it is in the oh east. Oh, my it seems. gosh. Yeah. It's like my, I, my little farmhouse I live in here. If you moved it out to some beach in L.A., it'd be worth like $5 million. <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. Beyond, beyond my abilities. I would, love to, I would love to live out west again. I just think for the foreseeable future, it's probably prohibitively expensive. Um, yeah. And I, would, I, I do love Florida for the wildlife not as much the rest of it, but it's got good wildlife and that's what matters most to me. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I have unfinished business there too. So do you? Oh yes. (laughs) What's, what's it? Oh, don't don't ask. (laughs) (laughs) I have some things I need down there too, but no (laughs) short, short tail snake. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) so I I did want to, I I knew there was something I was forgetting to ask you. There's this great shot you took of some salmon. I think Chinook salmon. Where did you take that shot? Where was that at? So if it's the one I'm thinking of on the portfolio page? Yeah. Yeah, that was in uh, Vancouver, on Vancouver Island, Canada. Okay. I got to do salmon in Alaska in 2018, and it was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. So then I was in Canada for a dive trip 
last October, uh, and I had some time on either end. So I hit, I had a hit up a guy who I sort of knew by name, but didn't know. Uh, and I, and I was like, Hey man, I, you know, I've been looking for Sam and I found him in a couple of spots. It's been really rough. You know, do you have any, any tips? And he's like, meet me at, you know, here tomorrow, I'll take you to the, like the spot for them. So we did. And he, we timed it perfectly. He, he's like, that's the pool you want to sit in and point to at the base of a little waterfall. He's like, go in there. It's always packed with salmon this time of year. So I, you know, when you're in the, those kind of rivers, you need to just weigh yourself down with as much weight as possible. So I had like 70 pounds of weight anchored Holy myself to, to, the, to the bottom of this little pool. And as soon as I get in the water, there's just fish smacking me all over the place. The salmon wow. are in there. They don't care that you're there. You just become another object in their environment. And there's just this is the story behind that photo. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting at the rest of the story here. This is yeah. awesome. I mean, and that yeah. I mean, your water's cold enough. Like you go, your face goes numb immediately. Your hands go numb. I mean, you're in a dry suit, so you're dry, but it's still freezing, and your face yeah. isn't covered, so that gets frozen. But it's such a cool experience because I mean, it was just he. He was filming some stuff topside. I was shooting underwater. It was just he and I, and there was no people or cars or planes or anything which was just out in the middle of the woods wow. in vancouver island and then you know i came up after i ran out of after like three and a half hours my tank finally ran out i came up uh and he's you know a couple yards away and there's three ba- there's three three bears right there that are fishing for the same salmon the eagles coming down and grabbing them out of the water um and it's just such a cool experience because wow. you know it's hard to find truly wild experiences it seems at this point without some sort of human sound or visual yes uh, so it's pretty cool to have he and i for like eight hours one day just watch this whole natural phenomenon happen completely unperturbed by our our presence the bears didn't care i mean they're they're there just to hunt they'd give us a look once in a while and then they'd go right back to fishing and wow it was it's a it's a cool experience and if i hadn't been hooked before i sure would have yeah. been after that now yeah. all i want to do is salmon and i already have some some spots pinned in uh new york and uh, some other places for for when the fall rolls around again to hopefully try try doing that. Um, Very cool. I look but, forward to following whatever pictures you post of that. that so I think I think that's the kind of thing that every anybody who's even remotely into wildlife could enjoy, um, just because it's such a spectacle uh, yes. to be surrounded by that much life at at once. It was it was a really cool thing to experience. Yeah, I you know what can I say about that. It, we all cut our teeth on Disney and nature shows where the salmon <laughs> go up in the air yeah. and, you know, the salmon ladders and all that stuff. Have you ever done the Monterey Monterey Bay and the kelp forests? Yes. Oh, so that the, makes me really jealous. That's, that's got to be if I if I got into that sort of thing, that would be the the place I would like to go. I it's it's funny. It has Monterey has kind of a mystique about it because, I mean, it's on every underwater program they inevitably end up in monterey bay that the aquarium's famous and i did i did the kelp forest down in southern california where i lived and i got to do monterey a bunch of times uh and the, the kelps kind of there's nothing else like that either because it's just such an otherworldly environment because um, it's just it's a forest but it's underwater and there's right and it's and three-dimensional instead of you being stuck on the bottom you can move in any, every direction and the you know get the crazy light rays coming down through the kelp and there's sea lions and all sorts of fish. And it's just a, you could just sit there and hang, you know, mid water and just uh, waft isn't the right word, but you know, sway back and forth with the kelp for an hour. And it's just, it's the best. Um, So I, you know, even even snorkeling is fun. I, if anybody has a chance to go to Monterey Bay, 
it's it's cold, but it's worth it. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot mm. of cool stuff there. Um, wow. They actually had like a week ago, right at the right in front of the aquarium. There's a really popular dive site, and there was a whole school like thirty or forty baby molamolas, the ocean sunfish. Oh, I saw those pictures. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of them right off the shore there. There's all like we- weird stuff comes through that area all the time. People have seen great whites right off the aquarium. They've seen whales right off the aquarium while they're underwater. And then the molas the other day was pretty pretty wild. There's not much um, cooler than a mola. No, I've only seen I've seen two. One one little one in Monterey, and then one uh, down in San, a huge one down in San Diego. And I've not been able to photograph either of them yet, but that's uh, that's bucket list for sure because they are okay. such weird fish. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, talk about alien life forms. Oh yeah, they make no sense. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you know, they're. The, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. If you haven't seen a mola, Google it. M O L A. Mola mola. That's, that's amazing. And I always, I, it's, I always say it's like there's a lot of weird stuff on land, but if you go underwater, like the weird factor goes up exponentially because <laughs> everything down there is just crazy. It, I, I don't, it's just there's so much wacky stuff, and and it's cool. I, I'll plug Monterey Bay something. It's M M B A R I on Instagram uh, is like a Monterey Bay underwater feed. Oh, and they, okay. they have a they have their own submarine, and they're every day they post videos or pictures of all sorts of weird stuff that they've seen in the canyon that's right off of Monterey Bay. So even if you're not into underwater stuff, you'll probably be into some of the oh, crazy cool. stuff they're posting. I'll, I will ping you for that uh, cool. again after the show, uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, so that'll be fun. Right on. Well, it's been great talking to you. Your your passion is just sort of bleeding all over the place through, 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 the, through the podcast here and it's just been great to listen to you talk about your adventures and uh, I really enjoy what you do and uh, I hope to, to get out in the field with you again sometime and sure. uh, that would be, be fun so absolutely I'll get uh, down to one of those Amazon trips at some point oh yeah 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 please <laughs> please cool. come on down I have some I have some Amazon stuff that I have a score to settle with so that you guys seem to find pretty regularly <laughs> Yeah. Not, not Bushmasters, but some other stuff. Okay. That I have, uh, All right. Well, we can, hook, we can hook a brother up. So. All right, cool. <laughs> Thanks again, Matt. This was a lot of fun. All right. That's it for Episode 9. I want to thank my guest, Matt Sullivan, for coming on the show. I had a great time talking with him as I'm sure you can tell, and I look forward to seeing more of his photography. So do yourself a favor and check out the show note for links to Matt's work. Don't forget, if you like the show, please take a moment to give it a rating on whatever podcast platform you use. It really does help to spread the word about the show and brings in a wider audience, and thank you very much for doing so. Just a couple more things before I go... You can find all of the recorded episodes and show notes at SoMuchPingle.com, and you can join the So Much Pingle Facebook group. You can also email me directly at SoMuchPingle at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, please take good care of yourselves, and don't forget to hurt better.